It's good to see you guys after being away for a couple of weeks. Um, trying to, I guess Vicky and I were getting a taste of what retirement's going to look like in a f- few years. Uh, we spent uh, uh, nine days traveling, 2,000 miles, um, <clears throat> to see family. <laughs> uh, saw our parents, both our aging parents in Roanoke, Virginia, and then we went from there to Knoxville, Tennessee, and hung out for a week with our grandkids there, and uh, they got back, and then my wife, it wasn't enough for her, and so she decided, she, well, she'd already decided this before, uh, she left the day after we got back to go to Fort Wayne, Indiana, to hang out with our other grandchild, you know, and so uh, she's back now, we're all back, and uh, it's kind of interesting uh, journey along the way, but uh, miss being with you guys here in our time of worship together and uh, sharing together. I appreciate staff like uh, Dan and Chris who were able to uh, fill in and just kind of keep the things going exactly the same, talking about the same uh, thing we've been talking about for several weeks, and that is uh, a series we've been in since the beginning of September call, called uh, One Another, and it's uh, really about the one another's of Scripture. It's, it comes out of the idea, not the idea, but the truth that's in Scripture, uh, where Jesus was asked the question, what's the most important commandment? And he said, the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and a second is like, love your neighbor as yourself. And as you put those two things together, basically what Jesus was saying is this, there's nothing more important than relationships. And so we've been talking about uh, that, and we've been basing it upon, um, it's really interesting in the New Testament, there's approximately 58 different passages of scripture that use the phrase in some form, one another talking about how we relate to one another. Obviously, it's a big, it's an important topic because if there's nothing more important than relationships, then they, uh, the Bible wants to tell us how, how to deal with those relationships. Now today, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Galatians, the, the epistle. They, the epistle means a writing. It's a writing of Paul of Galatians. We'll be looking at uh, some verses there in chapter 5 and chapter 6 and uh, talking about one, another one of these one another's. And uh, before I get to the passage itself, I've got to give you some context because while it's always important to understand the context of the scripture we're looking at, it's incredibly important today to understand the context. Because if you just read the scripture, uh, especially you read uh, just one, the, the one another in here, which says share one another's burdens, you can get the wrong idea what it means. Because that share one another's burdens can mean so many things. And it does mean many things in scripture. But in the context today, it's very specific in regard to what it talks about. And it's something that we often don't talk about in our culture, and especially in America. So let me go back and talk about what Paul, uh, as he set this up, actually back in Galatians chapter 1, verses uh, 1 and verses 3 and 5, the apostle Paul, what he does is he reminds, as he begins to write this letter to the Galatian Christians, he reminds them pretty quickly of, and gives them a comprehensive but pretty quick outline uh, of the gospel message. And he says it this way. Paul, as he starts his letter, he says, this letter is from Paul, an apostle I I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. So he's given us credentials here. And then he says, may God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. And in those little verses right there, he outlines, if you look at it, what the gospel is. The gospel is the good news that, that, we, uh, that we need. And what he says is this. The gospel is this. First of all, he says who we are. He says we're helpless and lost. He says, he uses the term rescue in verse 4 there. And the term rescue implies uh, something that, 
that we need rescued from something. See, other teachers, other religious founders, uh, founders of religions came to teach, not to rescue. Um, and the average person on the street, if you ask them what a Christian is, they will say a Christian is someone who follows the teachings of Jesus Christ. I've asked people, and that's what they say. Well, it's somebody who follows the teachings of Jesus Christ. And while that may be true to some degree, that's not the purpose that we're followers of Jesus Christ. The, the reason we're followers of Jesus Christ, he says, is because we need to be rescued. We are in a situation we need to be rescued from. So Jesus is not so much as a teacher as he is a rescuer because that's what we need. Then he also says, he, he answers the question, what did Jesus, what Jesus did? How did Jesus rescue us? It says in verse 4 also, he gave his life for our sins. He gave his life for our sins. The word for means on behalf of, in place of. Uh, he was a substitution. He's not, he, was, he didn't merely give us a second chance, but what he did is he gave us the opportunity to get life right and stay right with God, something we could not do in and of ourselves. And so he talks about that. Then he goes on and he also talks about, actually going back to verse 1, he talks about what the Father did. Well, God accepted the work of Christ on our behalf by raising him from the dead. He talks about raising Jesus Christ from the dead. And why God did it was because this was done out of grace. The grace means God's undeserved, unmerited favor. And so that's the good news. The, the good news is, is that we're, we need to be rescued from something. Jesus Christ came to rescue us, and he did it through, through, through the, uh, the, the way that God planned it in his life. God raised him from the dead, and Jesus took upon himself that which we could not do ourselves. And so that's what the gospel is. Now, I say that because to understand the context of our passage today, you have to understand that the rest of the book of Galatians, the story of Galatians, is about how that's lived out in our life. How does it, what does it mean to live our life um, as people who live under the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? How does it affect our lives? And so Paul talks about that in the book of Galatians. Now, over in Galatians uh, chapter, chapter 5, he, he, he kind of talks about this question. He's, this question is this. What difference does the gospel make to your relationships? What difference does the gospel make to your relationships? How does it change the way we interact with one another because you live as a person who has been rescued by Jesus Christ through God's plan? How does it make a difference? Should it make a difference? The answer is yes. And Paul says one of the ways he talks about today is, is in Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, through chapter 6, verse 5. And so if you have your Bible today, let's just read through those. And then what I'm going to do is go back and go through them verse by verse to talk about what it means for us in the context of the, this one another today. Let me just read it first, and we'll go back and think about it. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. And then chapter 6, verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. And this is where the one another comes in. Share each other's or, in some translations, one another's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important, I love what Paul said. We'll talk about this later. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. 
Paul's pretty straightforward about who we are and how we understand. But he says this, each one should test their own actions, then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. Now, this passage is short and brief, but it has a lot, it packs a big punch in regard to relationships. And I want to unpack that today because I think it's hugely important for us to understand the message of this passage and how to apply it to our lives in a real way. So let's break it down. First of all, Paul has just encouraged his fellow Christians in verse 25. He says, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. This involves, he's saying, and if we read this, the whole book of Galatians, this involves a daily dying to ourselves, which means we focus our attention upon Christ so that the fruit of the Spirit will grow in, grow in character in us. God wants to take us and change us to what he, he meant for us to be. And so the first thing we're to do is we're to follow the Spirit's lead in every part of our lives, not just a little pick and, pick and choose here and there. And now Paul wants to show us how to keep, keep in spirit with us. Uh, keep in step with the Spirit and how it will transform relationships. So he says this, and it's hard, it will mean that we do not, in verse 26, we will not become conceited. You're going, I'm not conceited. Yes, you are. All of us are conceited in some way. You think, well, I'm not, no, no. Well, we're gonna, I'm just going to blow that out of the water this morning from Scripture because all of us have conceit. We're selfish in some way in our lives. And so that's what Paul's saying. He says the, the natural way in our relationship that we relate to one another is in a selfish way. But when Christ comes and we live a gospel-focused life, a life focused upon the fact that Jesus Christ has done something for us, rescued us, it should change the way we approach relationships. Now the, word, the Greek word conceit here is not something you have to remember, okay? I can tell you what it means, but it really doesn't matter. It's kenodoxi, which means empty of honor. That's what the, the word conceit means here. Do not become conceited. So conceit basically... If it means empty of honor, conceit is a deep insecurity. It leads to a need to prove our worth to ourselves and to others. And this in turn fixates our mind on comparing ourselves with others. When we seem better than someone, it puffs us up and makes us feel good. Or when we seem inferior to someone, else we're devastated for the same reason. And Paul says this describes the natural state of our heart without the gospel, without Jesus Christ in our lives. And he, he goes further to say this. He says, if we are conceited, he says, we will provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Provoke uh, is, means we're competitive, meaning to challenge someone to a contest. That's what the, the Greek word actually means. To provoke someone means to be competitive, to challenge someone to a contest. Jealous means uh, to, to want something that rightfully belongs to someone else or to want that person not to have that thing. See, Paul is talking about two ways of relating to people that comes out of our natural way of relating to people. Provoking is the stance of someone who is sure of his or her superiority, looking down on someone perceived to be weaker. Jealousy is the stance of someone who is conscious of inferiority, looking up at someone they feel is above them. See, both the 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 superior and inferior person are self-absorbed, just from two directions. They're self-absorbed, which means you're conceited, okay? 
That's what Paul's saying here. That's their natural state. He says, we, the only way we can get out of that is to be connected with Jesus Christ through the gospel. In both cases, you're focused heavily on how the other person makes you look and feel instead of how you make him look and feel. It's all about you. So the, the superiority complex and the inferiority complex at the root are both conceit. They're just two different outworkings of our desire to feel worthwhile as people. Essentially, essentially this, is a, this is a translation of verse 26. It's essentially saying this. Do not let your hunger for honor make you either despise or envy people. Do not let, let your hunger for honor make you either despise or envy people. So what does a gospel-based self-image look like? Well, the spirit the Bible talks about here works in our lives to apply the gospel to our, our self-perception and our view of others. God, in a sense, when he, we come to Christ, he not only do we start following his teachings, but he changes us from the inside out. And how he does that is he begins to create a whole new self-image, which is not based on comparison with others. It humbles me before anyone the gospel does, telling me I am a sinner only saved by grace. That's the first thing it tells me. But it also emboldens me before anyone telling me I am loved and honored by the only eyes in the universe that really count, God's. You've heard me say this before. I've been here 14 years, and I've probably said this 14,000 times. <clears throat> we need to live for an audience of one. And that's what the gospel does for us. It allows us to live for an audience of one. And it's not your spouse. And it's not your kids. It's not your parents. It's God. When you live for him, what it does, it changes your focus. It changes the way you relate to everyone else because we begin to love people the way God loves us as well. So, verse six, uh, verse, uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through uh, five, describe how that works out in, in life in some real ways. To become conceited, to seek our own glory relationship means that however close we are to someone else, our treatment of them will always be tinged with selfishness. So the gospel changes that though and it enables us to live as what he says, brothers and sisters. As brothers and sisters. I mean, now, I don't know about your brothers and sisters. I don't have any brothers. I got three sisters. Okay? I'm the oldest. And I got three younger sisters. Um, and, and how I relate to them is not perfect. And I don't think Paul's talking about that here, how I relate to my sisters or how you relate. But it's talking about how we relate to somebody. But I, I care for, I would do anything for my sisters. And, and, and if I had brothers, my brothers. It, it changes, that familiar relationship changes the way we relate to people. And so when we become the gospel, when we live under the gospel, it enables us to live with everyone as brothers and sisters, not just those who are actually brothers and sisters. And, and brothers and sisters are able to encourage one another in their lives. And so, and so one of the ways, then he talks about something that seems totally out of context here, but you've got to understand what he's talking about. Because the next words he says, says this, we can relate to one another as brothers and sisters, but if another believer is overcome by some sin, what's that have to do with anything here? It seems totally out of context. It seems like he's, is Paul ADD? I mean, just jumping all over the place? You know, I don't know, you know? But no, he says that. Because he's saying when we relate to someone 
as a brother and sister, and they are overcome by a sin, we relate to them differently than often we do in the world. Because if you relate to them in this, this worldly view, you have this conceited superiority, it drives you to look down on a person who is in sin. Can you believe? We start gossiping about them. In Christian circles, we have prayer requests about them and tell everything about them. That's called gospel garbage. No, it's, uh, that's not the way we're to do it, okay? Uh, you don't share a prayer request and not do something about it. You know, it's, it's just a way of, it's, just don't do that. But conceited superiority, if we relate to a person and we don't see them as a brother or sister, drives us to look down on them, to be glad we're not like them, uh, and po- or pointing out their sin uh, would merely be underline how good we look by comparison. Or on the other end, inferiority, if we look at them and we have this inferiority complex and we live out of that, we're not the superior person but inferior, it causes us to crave their approval so much that what we do, we won't risk pointing out their failure to live in line with the gospel. We're afraid because we're afraid we'll break the relationship. So Paul says, what will a brother or sister do who knows they're a son of God who lives under the gospel and they see a brother or sister who was caught in sin. It doesn't mean that we every time we go around trying to be sin hunters, okay? We go around trying to point out sin in everybody's life. You know, that's not what it's talking about here. Because as, as Paul will talk about here, the reality is, is we can only relate to people in this way that we know, that we have a relationship with. But it doesn't mean that we're confronting everyone we call sitting this way. But we must not overlook someone, he says, caught, overtaken by sin. This indicates that the sinful behavior is a pattern, and this sin is, a, that's what he's talking about here, a particular sin, in a sense, has gotten the upper hand with this person. It is a habit of sinful behavior that the person will not be able to overcome without help and outside intervention. Christians need to be neither quick to criticize nor afraid to confront. Either way. So Paul says, what do we do? And so he says we need to accept, if we're followers of Christ, we need to accept our responsibility as spirit-filled followers of Christ. And Paul says this, he says, you who are godly, and some of you have translations that says you who are spiritual, um, he says, uh, he says, those who are in that situation, and some of us think, look at that, and we're going like, well, this is, a, this is a group of superior Christians. You know, they've really grown, and they're like mature, and, and, they, and they're, no, no, no. This is not what it's talking about, a separate class of super godly, super Christians here. Okay, this, this is not, this is, a, this is words, he's saying that ordinary Christians, if you follow the desires of the Spirit, will do this. This responsibility, he's getting ready to tell you, belongs to anyone who is trying to live the Christian life at all. That is what he's saying when he says, you who are godly or spiritual. Not, he's not saying you who are perfect, okay? He's saying you who are followers of Christ, who follow Christ's thing, what will your aim be? He says to Verse one, should gently and humbly help or restore, that's another term that's used here, help or restore that person back onto the right path. See, it's saying that we are connected to one another and we just can't if we really are following the love of Christ and we, we have brothers and sisters, people that we connect with, that we need, to, uh, we need to connect with them in such a way that we can't stand around and see them fall off a cliff 
and not do something about it. Not be involved in their life. But what we want to do is not just simply point out their sin in these relationships, but what we want to do is gently and humbly help them restore them to back onto the right path. That's, we are connected in a way. Folks, if you're part of Great Oaks Church, one of the things that we'll talk about, and Greg, you probably talk about one-on-one, is part of being a part of the body of Christ is that we're connected. You're not just showing up here on Sunday morning and sitting in a row and then going home and have no connections. No, to be really a part of the body of Christ means to be connected. Now, you can't be connected by sitting in rows too well. But you can be connected by sitting in circles. By sitting across from someone and near someone and getting to know someone. And in doing so, we start to see in their lives things and we start to, to have a relationship with them that changes. And we, when we see them falling off a cliff, I mean, with your kids... Those of you, how many of you had kids? Most of you. How many of you are a kid? All of you, okay. So I thought I'd get everybody in here, okay, if you don't have kids, okay. The deal is this, the deal is this. If you have kids and you see them going off on the wrong path, what are you going to do as a parent? I'm just going to sit here and watch them. Let's watch them fail. They need to learn by failure. Now, sometimes they do need to learn by, we can't always rescue them from everything, okay? That's not that conversation. But if we see someone doing this and we love them and they're, they're our child, what we're going to do is we're going to try to help point them back in the right direction. We can't make them do it. Parents, have you learned that? The older they get, the harder it is to make them do anything. I've got a 28-year-old and a 34-year-old, and I don't, I, they listen sometimes. I'm still their parent. I still love them. I still give them direction, even though they don't want it. Right? But the reality is, is that we are called as one another, as brothers and sisters, to relate in a new way. That we are to relate with brothers and sisters in Christ in the same way we would with our kids. That's the closest I can find to an illustration. To those who are close to us, those that are our circle, the people that we know. And you're called to know some people to be able to do this. He says, but a brother will gently, will comfort, uh, confront gently. Paul says this gentleness will only come, and then he says, uses a little term here that's interesting. He says, he says, if you do this, be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Why does he do that warning? Because we can never help somebody if we think we're above them and we can't, and, and we couldn't do that ourselves. Folk, the Bible says clearly, every temptation Every temptation we better be careful with because we can fall as well. So if we have an attitude, he says, be careful. The attitude we should have is we won't be able to effectively confront someone if we think we're not capable of similar or equal sin. And if we do feel we are above that person, our air of superiority will come through and we will destroy, not restore that relationship. So that has to do with our attitude of doing this. And then he says this, if we're confronting someone caught in sin, he says this is a way to, in verse 2, share each other's burdens. This is the context. When we read that so often, we think share of each other's burdens means to go out and help somebody by giving them something or fixing something, right? That's one way. But here he's saying that when we connect with people, when we, in a real sense, what we do is we, uh, we help someone through a time, we confront a brother or a sister who has fallen off the map and has, has some kind of relational issues or some kind of problem in their life, 
What we're doing is we're sharing their burden. In verse 2, Paul is bringing uh, us together toward this, what I'd call other-centered approach to life. See, when... Before we come to Christ, we are self-centered. But coming to Christ, he says, relationally means you are other-centered. And and I could read dozens and dozens of scriptures that support that 100%. He basically says it this way. He ties verse 1 and verse 2 together. He says it this way. Brothers and sisters who are godly, spiritual, will... Share each other's burdens, and in this way, will fulfill the law of Christ. He uses the term, the law of Christ. And so he kind of wraps that together. He says, that's what we'll do. It changes the way we relate by being a follower of Christ, to be led by the gospel. So that's hugely important today. Now, verse 2 also reflects something that we haven't read today, but you can go back and read in chapter 5 of Galatians in verses 13 and 14. He goes back and talks about the very first verse that we talked about when we first started this series back seven weeks ago, and he kind of summarizes it in this way in Galatians 5, 13 and 14, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the law of Christ is a law which is summed up as love your neighbor. We are to love others as Christ loved us. How did Christ love us? He is involved in our lives. He gives us, he he guides us, he helps us. So we place chapter chapter 6, verse 2, alongside chapter 5, verse 13 and 14, and basically it says this, to serve one another in love means to share each other's burdens. And I could have put an equal sign there. That's what it does. He, he connects the two. We're not to let people carry their burdens alone. And these burdens can be all kind of things. These burdens can be all kind of things. Um, like raising a child, renovating a, a living space, dealing with a difficulty or a problem. See, Paul very vividly and, and practically teaches how a Christian relates to one another, that we're to share in our burdens. We're not just to sit back. It's not just about us. I'm going to stay over here. You stay over there, and we'll be all right. No, he said, no, we got to be inter- we, we're interconnected. And see, that goes totally against the American way. The American way, this rugged individualism, we can do it on our own. It's not biblical. Matter of fact, it's anti-biblical in regard to what it teaches us. So folks, um, part of the good news is this, is that God made us to have relationships. God made us to be in relationship and have people there who care so much for us that when, that they they know us so well that, that they will continually encourage us when we're doing well and will kick us into behind when we're not doing so well. But because they want to restore us to a relationship So we get back on the right track. See, Paul is telling the Galatians that they should be lifting burdens off others, and that ultimately is the way to fulfill the law. Now, the word law of Christ is, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it means basically this, modeling our whole life on the example of Christ. That's what the law of Christ is. Motivated by grateful joy. It's a life centered on a person rather than a, than a code, and we have different kinds of obligation upon us than we did before. Now we bear others' burdens because Christ bore our burden. Now, verse 2 then could be summed up as this. Bear others' burdens, and by doing this, follow in the footsteps of Christ who bore yours. 
Then, then the, this passage kind of deals with, in verses 3 through 5, what I'd call a real brief discussion of humility and pride. This is a constant throughout Scripture in the one another's. Humility and pride is, is like the theme of, of, of one another's. <clears throat> I, I love, and this is what we read earlier, uh, Paul says this, when, when we, when he, after he says, you know, care, uh, share one another's burdens uh, and, and do this, then he says this, if you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself, you're not that important. But the only thing this doesn't translate well is that there is a transitional word there in the Greek that says it's the word for. For if you think you are too important. It's kind of, it's kind of awkward. So to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. He's saying this. If you make the mistake outlined in verse 3 of thinking that you're so important, you're more important than anybody else, you're self-centered, then you won't be able to do the burden bearing of chapter two, of verse two, because you'll not even see the need. He's saying the reason that we need to not think more of ourselves is not because we're not important, but because we're not that important, because others are more important. Then he goes on to say in verse four, he says, nevertheless, there's a legitimate pride which Christians can have as well. He kind of balances it here and he says, each one should test their own actions. This is how we deal with that. Remember, before the end, when we're not in Christ, we test our actions against what? Others. We compare. We contrast. We're going like, you know, that's how we, we, we deal with ourselves. But he says this, each one should test their own actions, then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. This is totally different from the conceited pride of superiority or inferiority, which makes us and our motivations about us. He's saying this, this means we're to assess our opportunities, our gifts, our tests, God is affording us, and our own responses to them. We should measure ourselves, in a sense, against ourselves. And then he concludes with verse 5, which really seems kind of strange, but I have to conclude with this because it talks about something that seems opposite from what he just said. Uh, he says in verse 5, for each one should carry their own load. Did he just say we should share one another's burdens? Yes, he did. But he used two different words, burden and load. How can we possibly share each other's burdens when we, for each one should carry their own load? Because the word load is not the same as burdens. The Greek word translated burdens means a heavy weight. The something that's weighing down on somebody. A burden is something you look at somebody and you're going like, man, you need some help with that. Now, how can we know that if we don't know the person? If you just sit in a rows with them on Sunday mornings. You can't. You can't. That's why everybody here needs to be connected with people in some kind of a group, some kind of setting where you can, 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 can know people. It's not just about studying the Bible in a group. That's, the, that's one of the things we do. But it's about getting to know each other in such a way that you can know the person. Because part of living the Christian life is to live in relationship with one another and be responsible for one another. So you need to be connected with one another. 
You don't know what their heavy burden is. You know, folks, on Sunday mornings, sometimes, you know, I wish I could read minds. No, I don't. But sometimes I can look at some of you and you're, you're going around and you come to worship and you don't, I mean, you look like you're down. You know, some of you look like you're up all the time. I don't know how you do that. But anyway, but the reality is I can only tell that from looking at you. I don't really know what's going on, but there's probably somebody who you have a relationship with that knows what the burden is in your life that's causing you to look like you're a sad sack. You don't even know what that is probably. That's a really old thing a long time ago. But... The reality is, I always uh, careful to uh, use use uh, illustrations that, that are outdated, and that's a really outdated one. Um, I was a cartoon character, by the way, a long time ago. But the reality is, is someone who you know I don't know, but that's you know we can look at each other like here. But that's why it's so important to know other people, to be connected with other people in some way. Verse 5 means that God has given each of us, though, he's, he's saying, okay, yeah, we, we're to share one another's burdens. But a different Greek word is translated load. And you know what the word load, I forgot to bring it this morning. You know what the word load means, literally? Backpack. It's kind of like something you sling on your back that's loaded with your stuff. That's what a backpack is, right? Some of you kids carry these humongous backpacks to school. You know, and I'm going like, it weighs more than you do. Seen some of them, I'm going like, that is just unjust and cruel punishment to make, you know, all his books and everything all the time. Our kids are going to be going around like this, you know, for the rest of their lives because they have this huge, huge backpack on. But the reality is, it's what it's talking about here. And it's, it's, it's talking about this. Verse 5 means that God has given each of us when he refers to load, a different set of difficulties and opportunities, a different set of weaknesses and gifts. These are our load. Our responsibility before God. It's a difference than a burden. I don't know if I illustrated that well, but it is a difference. And we're responsible for that ourselves. He says, then we are therefore not to compare ourselves with others Instead, we must look at our particular tests and duties and respond to them obediently. When we see progress in our own life, we're to take legitimate pride in that. But it's not from comparing ourselves to somebody else, it's comparing ourselves to ourselves. To look at our responsibilities, our our difficulties in life, and, and asking ourselves whether or not we are better or worse today than we were yesterday. Not are we better and worse than somebody else. And Paul's basically saying this, if we see life this way where we have, we share one another's burdens, the things that's weighing us down that we can't carry ourselves, but we handle our own load, he says, we will be slow to judge others as well. We will be non-judgmental and more generous. For example, if we see someone being irritable, you may think, you know, <laughs> maybe this is, this is what the Christian, the person who is in Christ thinks. Instead of thinking somebody's irritable, go like, ah, that person, I just can't stand them. No, we go, you know, I don't know what pressures that person is facing today. Their burdens may be more than they can handle. Maybe that person's actually obeying God better than me today, even though they don't look like it. Because we see people in a different way. We're to humbly and gently help others with their task and their problems 
with all their burdens. I love what uh, John Stott, a Christian writer, says, and I want to conclude with this. He said, while we're to share with one another's burdens, he says, there is one burden that we cannot share. And that, as I, that is our responsibility to God on the day of judgment. On that day, we cannot carry, you cannot carry my pack and I cannot carry yours. Folks, we are called to do two things. We're called to take up the load that God has called us to, carry our cross. But we're also called to share one another's burdens. We're to relate to one another because we are not meant to live life alone. That's why the Bible has 58 one another's. We're called to connect with one another. We're going to talk about this more next week. We're going to talk about spurring one another on to work in good deeds. That sounds painful. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. Come back and find out. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the fact that you love us. You love us so much, God, that you did for us what we could not do for ourselves. You rescued us. And the rescue involved Jesus Christ coming and dying upon a cross to carry the weight of our sins upon himself, to be a substitute for us, God. But then, God, you accepted his sacrifice and you raised him from the dead. And you allowed that sacrifice to pay for our sins. And in doing so, God, you gave us the opportunity of being reconciled, being brought back together with you, God. Even though we didn't seek it, and even though we don't deserve it. That's how much you love us. But God, while we live here upon this earth, you've called us to live in relationship. Yeah, we have our own, we have our own load to carry, the things that... The, the gifts, the abilities, the responsibilities that we have in life, we're called to carry that ourselves. But God, sometimes there's burdens upon our lives that come there, and when we try to live life separately from other people, God, that's a foolish way to live. It's an ungodly way to live because you didn't call us to live that way. Because here in Scripture and in multiple places, you say that we're to, to share or carry one another's burdens. And God, I can't know what everybody's burden is here, but I can know a few. A few guys I meet with on Saturday morning can know some other people that I'm connected with in the life of the church, and everybody can know a group of people. It's not like we have to know everybody. We know that you know somebody. And in doing so, God, we can live life together. in a way that will not only um, carry out the law of Christ, that living our life for him, but it will also enable us, God, to, to live life successfully. And to realize we don't have to do it all our own. Thank you, God, for your incredible love, for how much you care for us. Help us, God, more than anything right now to learn how to open our lives to you and allow you to open our lives to others. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.